Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 10, Our Man Bashir. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Twitter is its own thing. We're moving past that. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're... As they say, we don't we don't talk about Twitter anymore. <laughs> it has become a hodgepodge of craziness anyway, and every single day it seems to get a little bit worse. So I think we may just have to give up on trying to do anything on that platform at this time. If they finally magically fix it and you know make it user friendly once again, perhaps we'll return. But for now, no, there will be no twittering from us from this podcast anyway. So there. <laughs> um, but David is right We are here to talk about Season 4, Episode 10 10! Already 10 episodes into Season 4 It's amazing right. yeah. um, How far we've come And we are going to definitely have to take a time Take some time and kind of Do kind of a the story so far And account <laughs> How we've, you know, what we've learned about Everything from Emissary To this episode Our Man Bashir um, but of course, before we get into all that, I have to ask, David, how was your week? Oh, it was fine. Slow at work. We had a meeting this morning at 8, so this is definitely a long day for me. Oh, yeah, just one of those uh, one of those days, slow at work, customer issues, meetings early in the morning, but the new Legend of Zelda game is fantastic. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, me okay. and a bunch of friends are playing it, and so everyone's like, hey, where are you at? How are you doing? How's it going? And it's just been fun. Uh, yeah, how about you? How, how are things going? I may have to check that out. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't really had much time for gaming. I know that the last time you know, I told you I'd gotten um, the uh, Mass Effect series, and I was trying to work my way through that. Unfortunately, I haven't had much time to play this week. I've been really focusing on... Um, the workouts and the weightlifting and things right. like that. That's been going pretty well. I'm still sore all the time, but mm. there's something about being, you know, teased by uh, a man 20 years older than you and making you feel weak that <laughs> makes you just want to keep doing it. So yeah. that's pretty much where I am right now. Just, uh, you know, grin and bear it and make it through it. And um, so far, I've been, you know, once the soreness passes, I feel great. So. Right. There is that. Um, other than that, keeping busy with work and kid and everything else. You know, school's getting ready to end, so we're really excited about that. Um, already trying to make plans for the next year and what we want to do there for her school-wise and um, right. home-wise. Talking about a move and all that other kind of stuff. Just trying to get us in the right frame of mind to make the proper plans for things, you know. So, a lot of little things like that, but nothing major. So, I'm really glad for that. We're all happy, we're all healthy, and we're ready to just kind of, you know, move through. 
And of course, you know, be here to talk about um, Trek every single weekend. And of course, other things like things we've talked about in our After Dark specials, um, of course. And like I said, we're going to have to do kind of a a couple of them. Got to do recounts for our show. And then we've got some other stuff here with like the books and everything else. So we've got to get back on the ball for a couple of things. And hopefully this summer we can really uh, do that. Sure. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So yeah. in um, in our all things Abasarala Sheree, ah. you know, announcements, you know, her birthday was recently and she posted, of course, several pictures of herself <laughs> doing a kind of a layout, you know, and again, she just, she's amazing. I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I adore her. She's, she's fantastic. I, I don't care. Um, I don't know why I didn't know anything about her until The Expanse and I kicked myself for that, but it's actually... It's been great because it allows me to go back and like find her in like movies and TV shows and interviews and everything else. And I'm I'm not trying to say that I'm obsessed, but I am trying to say that if someone knows her and has a way for me to at least say, "Hi, I'm such a huge fan of yours," to her, I'm here for it. Like, please yeah. sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. Perry, you need to tell him what you what happened with that photo. You oh, just oh, yes. Okay, so um, obviously I'm on Twitter personally, you know, and um, uh, she again she posted the spread for her birthday photo shoot and everything else. She released the photos, and then I just you know I used the Expanse to make a comment about how great she looks. And if, if any of you who are Expanse fans, you know, there's a scene where Amos walks into her office and. Um, she says to him, uh, you look like shit. And he says, you look amazing. And so there's this little uh, gif, gif, however you want to pronounce it, that someone made of that moment. So, of course, when she posted the pictures, that I used that as my response. And I actually got a, you know, nice, light-hearted reply from her. You know, the little emoji, smiling, laughing, or whatever else. But it was yeah. from her directly. And I know that it's a silly thing. I know that it's a little thing. But right. the fact that it happened at all, you, yeah. You... Like the I was touch of high God and Adam in yeah, the Sistine yeah. Chapel. <laughs> briefly, briefly. <laughs> I know. I know to other people who don't know anything about her and don't care, and they're just like, you're telling us this why. I understand. Trust me. I've been there on the other side for other people when they talk about things like this for them, and I'm like, really? <laughs> but now that it's me, I don't care as well, and it is. It's. it was great. It was a yeah. great little moment you know yeah and um yeah it's not it's actually not the only time that i've had this kind of i guess more indirect contact with her there was a posting that was done about her scene in the expanse where um she gives the speech about losing her son because after all those people were killed um, all the soldiers and stuff were killed and she gave that speech and it was a very moving moment. She wasn't the president of Earth as we called her but then she was just kind of like the Earth Mother type in the scene. Mm-hmm. Very moving scene. She gives a very eloquent speech and um, I went looking for it and I found that several people had not only posted it but they had commented about the power of the speech and I did the same. I just was like, you guys are absolutely right and I kind of just described you know, different things that I noted from, like, you know, filming and books and things like that that I knew and why this worked and all that other kind of stuff. And kind of just gave, like, a little breakdown of, you know, the speech and why it was so good, and at least in my opinion and everything like this. And she actually responded. 
it was a verified response from her thanking everybody for their love of her work and for the analysis. And she was just kind of went on a little bit about how she didn't realize that people had, you know, you know, enjoyed it so much, but she was so grateful. And obviously she was just proving that she was wonderful Mm -hmm. and that she's aware of everything that goes on when you mention her. And um, again, even in that moment, I was like, she's, she's awesome. She's a spectacular person. I just love it. So, um, and I, that was on Reddit where she did that she did one of, and then it was kind of in that ama you know ask me anything type deals right. you know so yeah it was a great little moment there but um so Perry, all that to say i love sharia doshlu and i don't i don't all care right. if you know so i'm gonna ask you a really hard <laughs> question perry president oh roslin or officer Allah? Ooh. um <laughs> yeah uh for, wow. for everyone who needs to know, that's uh, Laura, Laura Roslin from Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, the original, yeah. the one that came out in uh, 2000, 2004? Yeah. 2004, because yeah. it yeah, ended yeah. in 2009. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, fantastic character as well, and right. uh, played expertly by Mary McDonald. She's a wonderful person as well. Um, wow. Um, what I will say to that, uh, what I will say to that is, um, tune into the end of the episode and find out which one that I chose. Otherwise, he's going to give himself an hour to work it out. Yeah. We would, cause we would be here forever with me having to like debate in my head. A whole after dark episode has to be legitimately just, we're going to put this on the back burner for a while. Cause those are, um, yeah, I've often said before, you know, anything I often said that, uh, she was the only Laura I'd ever love. So um, we're going to have to like, <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about any of that. No, we are actually no, here to talk about <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine yep. and this great episode. So do you want to hit us with a quick uh, recap yeah, before I can we do dive it in? Time. Do yeah. our deep dive there. All, All right, right, guys. Again, this is the episode Our Man Bashir. And as you can imagine, it is heavily focused on Our Man Bashir. So, Dr. Bashir is in the hollow suite, and he is enjoying a James Bond-type secret agent hologram, uh, hollow suite uh, game, and when uh, Garrick, of all people, shows up, right in the middle of a climactic moment where he takes out a bad guy, and he's getting the girl, and here comes Garrick, uh, interrupting everything. Uh, Bashir is annoyed, but lets him join in for the remainder of his hollow suite time. Meanwhile, outside of the Hollow Suite, uh, our core group of uh, officers from Cisco, Kira, Dax, O'Brien, and Worf are returning to the station on one of the runabouts. Suddenly, they realize that there is trouble with their warp core and they've been sabotaged, and they have to be beamed to the station as their uh, runabout starts to explode. Unfortunately, it explodes right about the moment that they are actually being transported. And because the buffers in the transporter could only hold the information about their physical beings and their mental state for so long, uh, Eddington and Odo have to make some pretty drastic uh, choices in order to save the lives of our crew. So what they do is they tell the computer to delete as much information as necessary and then store the the data wherever it can as quickly as it can. And where does it store the data? In the hollow suite with Dr. Bashir and Garrick. And so all five of our officers are suddenly 
characters in this James Bond style secret agent 1960s game thing that Bashir is playing. And what happens is, is their physical bodies are being uh, saved in the Hollow Suite. So the physical bodies of our character of our crew are being used in the Hollow Suite uh, as Doctor Bashir plays out his uh, you know double oh seven style game. But their minds are not there. The minds are actually saved onto the station as a whole. The entire station was necessary to house the the five minds of our five characters. But their physical bodies are being saved in the Hollow Suite, and so Eddington and Odo, with the help of um, Quark and Rom, are trying to save the crew. And they tell Bashir and Garrick that they can't stop the Hollow Suite program because if they do, that would danger endanger our crew. The five uh, bodies of our crew might be lost into the programming, and so in order to make sure that they don't die, they have to continue playing out this you know, uh, James Bond-style game. But, of course, the safeties are now turned off, and that means that if anyone actually dies, they die for real. So, as you can imagine, this creates for a fun little episode where every now and then we get some stuff from Odo and, and the others and Eddington as they try and solve the problem, and ultimately they are successful. But in the meantime, we have a... Again, James Bond-style action film plot playing out with Dr. Bashir as uh, Mr. Bashir, which I think is hilarious because the entire time we've always done him as Dr. Bashir, but he used to be referred to as Mr. Bashir uh, the whole time. And the long story of it is Kira is his R Russian lover, and O'Brien is the man who tried to kill him, and uh, Worf is the second-hand person to Cisco's uh, criminal mastermind villain who's using the Professor Dax to create these lasers that are going to destroy the Earth's crust and cause a massive swelling of the oceans. And so only Mount Everest will be the last uh, piece of land above water. And he's going to restart the world again uh, with just a few people left at Mount Everest. Um, now, this whole time, Garrick has been telling Bashir, look, like, there's no reason for us to die in order to try and save these five people. We don't know if we'll be successful. If we have to, we might have to make hard decisions and save our own lives. At the end of everything, that's exactly what Garrick is saying, is like, look, we're running out of time. Uh, we can't, you know, we don't want to die to this fake lava. You know, the Hollow Suite will kill us because it's good, the safeties are off. So we have to you know, cut our losses and make do. And of course, Bashir is, is like, that's not at all acceptable. I'm going to do everything I can to save them. Even if I have to shoot you and kill you, Bash uh, Garrick, I'll do it. And he has to shoot Garrick. He gla grazes his neck. And uh, Garrick is very impressed with Bashir's willingness to take the hard actions. And part of the climax of the, of the James Bond plot is when he's telling Cisco as the supervillain that he basically gives the same speech that Garrett gave as his reason to continue keeping Cisco invested long enough for the for them to be saved. Um, but we can talk in more detail about that. In the end, everyone's saved, uh, and everyone goes back to their lives, but now Garrick and Bashir have the hollow suite to enjoy together, um, 
and again, part of the whole thing here is that Garrick is an actual spy, and Bashir was pretending to be a spy in his Hollowsby program, and that creates some tension between them. We'll get into more into that as we go on. But that's mainly the yes. plot. Anything I missed? Nope, that's essentially it. And like you said, we're going to get into a lot of these um, points here. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, of course, I like to, as I say every week, I love to ask first and foremost, um, what did you think of this episode? Um, well, it's it's a, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a fun one. Um, I was reading up on Wikipedia right before we started that Deep Space Nine's writers had specifically avoided doing a lot of hollow sweet glitching storylines because they felt like Deep Space Nine had a lot of those. And yeah. Well, you yeah. mean you mean that Next Generation had a lot oh, of I'm those. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. And you are yes. correct. Next Generation is full of episodes where the supposedly perfect, wonderful holodeck malfunctioned in one way or another. And because right. of this malfunction, we got craziness that happened. We had Picard and Riker trapped in the Binar episode. We had Data and uh, Jordy and Dr. Pulaski trapped in the creation of Moriarty. And they were trapped a couple of times because of Moriarty. We've got Barkley running amok in the the, uh, holodecks multiple times as well. (laughs) So, yeah, that was kind of like their go-to when they they were bored in a season right. oh, what can we do uh let's have yeah. a malfunctioning holodeck again so yeah, yeah they were that was a lot right. there was a lot right and so this is the first time that d space nine has gone with a similar plot line um now it's important to note that while um this holodeck is featured here the holodeck did not actually malfunction that's true um in the in this in this scenario the holodeck did exactly what it was supposed to do the computer is what shunted their physical patterns into the holodeck and the program was still working perfectly the only difference was that the safety protocols in the program had been deactivated that was it everything else was running as it was supposed to right yeah it's made clear it's made clear that characters that Bashir has already interacted with like Kira is portraying Anna but Anna, Anastasia, Anastasia is a woman he's already interacted with, so it's just her physical form is now Kira's. Right. Um, and I, I have to say it now, I don't think her accent, her Russian accent, it, 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 I'm no expert on Russian accents, but it felt strained. <laughs> I, I, well, I, and I, I think I understand what you're saying, um, you know, in that moment, but at the same time, we're obviously yeah. used to hearing them speak a certain way right so to suddenly hear something especially something as rustic as the russian accent right i think it's particularly jarring when we hadn't heard her speak that way ever before now if we had heard her in something else in some other capacity too even just even just a different accent in general i think it would have made it a little bit more accepting to hear but we've never heard her sound this way before so yeah um it, they were they were all kind of weird. I, I thought it was funny that Worf has a French name, but doesn't sound French at all. <laughs> he didn't even try. <laughs> Not he didn't even yeah didn't even try. And I, and it makes me wonder like behind the scenes did someone say to him, hey, can you speak with the French accent? And either a he said no right away, or b he tried it and then they said. You know what? No. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't don't you do that. I can see Michael all. Dorn giving that look. You know, it's his warped yeah. look of like 
I will not. <laughs> right. I, you know, for Michael Dorn, I have to imagine that, or I like to imagine, I don't have to, but I like to imagine that when he puts on the makeup, right, and becomes Warp, that there is a total persona shift. And so things that he would have found funny and whatever as Michael, it's just dead. And I think that's why, again, I've tried to nail down why I think Worf works so well. But I think that's why. Because it's like he can still do the delivery, but Worf is just so serious. And that yeah. deadpan delivery is spot on every time. Right. And it just it works. Right. But, um, yeah, I just have to imagine that someone, like, he was, you know, maybe considering it when they were talking to him as Michael, but then he put the makeup on, and they were like, okay, now hit me with that French accent, and he just gave him a look, <laughs> and they were like, you know what, never mind, yeah. you you do you, yeah. you know, you do that, yeah, that classic wharf, we'll take that, wharf in a suit, Yeah. there we go, Yeah. we're good, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like the whole, I mean, it was, it was so clearly a reference to James Bond. There's so many references. Oh, yeah. um, my name is Bashir, Julian Bashir, and it just doesn't work like James Bond does. Like, he's it, it, Garrick is right to make fun of him. In this, oh yeah, Garrick in this is hundred percent. Garrick is totally right to yeah. make fun of him for this, and yeah, it's a classic rip on all of those um, Bond movies. In fact, this episode came out just a few days after. Um, the GoldenEye movie came out. Mm. The first one, the first Bond film in several years that um, starred Pierce Brosnan. So this was hot on its heels. You know, GoldenEye came out, and then I think it's like five or six days later we got this episode. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, very much a tribute to it. Um, again, all of those Bond movies. There was another movie called um, Our Man Flint, which is, you know, kind of like a direct reference here. Our Man Bashir, Our Man right. Flint, another 60s kind of spy movie, which in itself... Our Man Flint was kind of a parody of the, at the time, Bond movies. Right. You know, kind of an Americanized, stylized version. And I really feel like this episode more lines up with Our Man Flint than it does some of the Bond stuff. Like, overall, like, there are a lot of heavy Bond references, but pacing and plot tends to match up with Our Man Flint. And yes, that means, obviously, I've seen Our Man, Our Man Flint. Okay. Um, not a bad movie starring James Coburn. Back in his heyday, you know, um, you should go watch it if you're a fan of, especially if you're a fan of the older um, Bond films, you know, Sean Connery, Roger Moore. It's it's right in there in that kind of uh, feel and time. So, um, yeah, go back and watch it, and I'm sure you'll have a good time if you like those already. Um, but, yeah, I feel like it's more in line with that film than the other wink and the nods that they do for James Bond, Man from U.N.C.L.E., so forth and so on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other moments that are pretty obvious are um, Cisco is dressed up in a in a shirt or suit that looks just like Doctor No from the original Doctor yeah. No. Yeah. Like I've never yeah. even seen Doctor No all the way through, but I know. The yeah, but villain. you know that look, right? Yes. You, you know that look. That's, yes. Yeah, you're right. That is the, the iconic villainous look right and the only difference is basically it has buttons and it's a brown and not and not white like Dr. yeah Rose yeah that's mainly person. it it's like his is brown it's got like the gold accents with the buttons and stuff but other than that it's like a spot-on yeah you know hit for it. you're you're right and i have to say avery brooks once again fully <laughs> commits 
to the role. He does. He is absolutely chewing the scenery. He is Dr. Noah. Not no, Noah. Noah, right. <laughs> yes, Noah, right. Um, oh, he, he certainly really just kind of uh, enveloped this role. He oh, took it yeah. on. Fully well, did not shy away from any of it at all. Yes, I really, and I would say the same thing for O'Brien too. Like I feel like he em- embraced being Falcon um, for the parts that we see him in. Anyway, right. I think he embraced being Falcon quite well. Right. But yeah, Avery Brooks once again just really kind of just was like, "Oh, you want me to play a '60s Bond villain? I'll give you a '60s <laughs> Bond villain." Yeah, and he was just megalomaniacal. Yes. He was just he was Everything. so. Great, yeah. yeah. Um, for people who just who I and I've seen few, but for people who criticize him at all, I'm like, I don't know what you guys are watching, but the man like <laughs> thoroughly enjoys his yes. scenes. I know he comes off as eccentric or whatever, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. He is fantastic, and right. you know what? This is yet again that we have found ourselves praising Avery Brooks um, for these kind of standout scenes. We, we commended him when we watched the episode where Nog is trying to convince him to recommend him for Starfleet. Um, even the brief bit where, um, in rejoined where he is, you know, saying to Dax, you know, I will stand with you. You know, I'll support you all the way. Like just those brief moments with him. He's so engaging and believable. And his delivery is just so, you know, it's just great. It's very powerful every time. Right. And even when he's playing a villain here, you're just like, he's awesome. When he was uh, Duran during Jadzia's yes. Jantara. I was and say, that's about, the episode I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, he's he's great. Yes. Avery Brooks really does, he, he's a fantastic actor. Right. He does a great job in all of his scenes. Yeah, you can you can tell that, I mean, you just said it. But he, he fully commits to whatever role he's given. You give him some lines, you give him a script, you give him a character. I don't know how much he goes back to the director and talks about, here's my character, what's going on, you know, back to force it. But when it comes to him being on camera, he is there. <laughs> it's just great to watch because I was waiting for him to show up, you know, of all five of our people, where's Doctor? Where's, where's Cisco going to show up? Well, he's got to be the big bad because he's, he's, again, kind of our main character of Deep Space Nine. So it makes sense that... You know, if he's going to fulfill a, a role amongst all these people, it would make sense that Cisco is going to be the one who Bashir has to go up against at the end. Um, oh, yeah. When they were starting to kind of like trickle in, you know, we yeah. saw uh, Kira and then we saw Falcon, of course, and then, yes. of course, Duchamp, you know, right. and then the, the picture of of Jadzia as Honey yeah. Bear, you know, oh, I, I knew love that. already. I love those names. I knew already that, that Cisco was the bad guy. But, yeah, the names – Honey Bear, Mona loves it. Well, that's another. Come on. Yeah, Mona loves it. Well, that's another um, reference to Doctor No because Honey Rider was the name of the the very first Bond girl. Um, so yeah, I don't it, know who came, I, you know. What was his name? Ian Fleming. He wrote yeah. the Bond. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've never read any of the Bond books. I've I heard either. a lot of things about them from they're really good to. They're really terrible, and just there's a bunch of stuff in them that obviously is very, very dated. So be careful yes. when going to read them. I'm, I will tell you that. I'm sure but, that's true. Yeah. But all that to say, if in those books he has named women such obvious things as 
Mona loves it and Honey Bear or in any equivalent, like however close. That's the worst thing I've ever heard of in my life. I've never, ever in my life met a woman named anything even remotely close to that. Yeah. So if he thought that was okay, like I, I just would love to analyze that part of his brain to be like, where did you think that that was going to be clever? Dude, we could talk yeah. about just in the movies. I really have to name them, but like the names. Even the Bond the movies. The, yes. Yeah, the women. Yes, they all have terrible names. Yeah. Yeah, like um, such like. Can you turn a male fantasy up to eleven, please? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, you've already got her, you know, wearing next to nothing. Did you really right. have to give her such a yes heavily entendre name? You know, like that. Like, can yeah. you just? I mean, her name still her name could have been Lisa, and it still would have worked. Like, I didn't, yes. I didn't need her to be, you know. Honey mouth or whatever the hell you were gonna call her in the in the scene, right? Yeah. I just Jesus Christ, it was just yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, it's and that is really the the epitome of how silly all that is. Is at the very end when Garrick and Bashir are tied to the laser contraption, and who walks in but Honey Bear, Honey Dax. Bear, Dax, and and and, he, and, and Garrick this, is she's like supposed to be you... this smart, serious no-nonsense scientist, and yet all of a sudden, because Bashir says a couple of words and looks at her with the soft white camera and everything else, yeah. now all of a sudden she's willing to just take Give off the glasses, a... let the hair down, and now Give she's not a key. scientist. Or at least right. when we're going to kiss him and he takes the key. I, I thought she gave no, him she, she They kiss, and then she slips the key right, into the because... pocket because Falcon comes around and uh yeah what's going on here right yeah yeah um yeah and it's so just i mean garrick is like you know again garrick is a real person so he's able to comment without the characters who are in the program noticing he's making comments and so he's like are you kidding me this is real they didn't teach me how to do this back at you know in the obsidian order you know i just gotta kiss the girl and get the key um which i have to point out um, remember that in all the times that we have seen Garrick interact, in particular with Bashir, mm-hmm. Bashir has always again and again tried to get Garrick to admit that he was actually a spy and not just a simple tailor. <laughs> right. And Garrick has always dissembled. He's right. always refused. He's danced around it, whatever. But in this episode, he, he's so he mad. is so incensed. <laughs> he is so upset with the trodden on his chosen profession and his skill set right yeah that he can't help but blurt out left right and center (laughs) why this is inaccurate i joined i I was a spy spy right i were i joined the entire i joined the wrong intelligence service of the insidious order you would never have gotten away with that well when i was a spy you had to make hard choices and somebody might die and you can't (laughs) save it like he's just out there over and over again saying when i was a spy yes like dude shut up Yeah. I mean, it's just like, are you that obsessed with Bashir that you have totally lost? You've lost the plot, man. You've <laughs> lost the game. You've given it up because you want this man to realize that what yeah. you did was serious, right? Instead of letting him have his crazy fantasy, right? So yeah, I was like, that's all it took. That's all it took was Bashir playing around in the holodeck for this man to finally admit that yes, <laughs> he was a spy. 
Yeah. So, yeah. it's like, yeah, Garrick, way to go. Well, it really explains going all the way back to the very beginning when he shows up and he starts clapping for Bashir after he popped the guy, Falcon, with the With the, a with the champagne cork. Yeah, that yeah, was what knocked him cork. out. And uh, later, uh, when Falcon returned, he's like, I bet you thought I didn't survive that crack, that you know, champagne bottle to the head or whatever. <laughs> you know, Garrick shows up and he's all clapping, overly clapping, and basically forces the woman that Bashir was trying to romance to leave. And he's like, oh, did I do that? Did I make – oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> too bad, he says, too bad you don't have another bottle of champagne to shoot me with. <laughs> yeah. so he's like – you sassy little. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just what a what a terrible, yeah. terrible friend you are. You're just teasing him relentlessly. Well, it's funny too because Bashir's like, you know, it's illegal to walk in on someone's hollow suite like that. Really, it's illegal, is it? That's strange. I wonder how that illegality came around. Like, who? Um, probably stemming from the number of times that on Next Generation <laughs> they just straight up invaded Barkley's privacy every <laughs> chance they got. Can't I mean, it was just like fantasize about his coworkers in peace, right? Can he <laughs> fantasize about falling asleep in Doctor Crusher's lap while he sword fights uh, the Card and Company? Yeah, right, and a miniaturized Riker. Riker. <laughs> right, you know, I mean. It's his holodeck time. And they just, I mean, over and over again, they just were walking in. And it wasn't just on, I mean, they did it a lot to Brock, don't get me wrong, but they all did it to each other at yes. some point or other. Yes. There's the one where Picard in Pen Pals, one of my favorite TNG episodes, and Picard is riding his horse. Yes. And the first time, he's attempting to get on the horse, and Data comes in and interrupts him. Right. The second time, he's actually riding the horse, and Troy interrupts him. And then um, Picard walks in on Riker during the Binar episode. Riker's just in there saxophoning away and yeah. schmoozing with the program. And all of a yeah. sudden, here comes Picard just walking in and inspecting the place and talking. You're like, dude, like, there was a door. Most people have learned by now to knock, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, Jordy gets interrupted. His little yeah. holodeck program that he had with Leia, the real Leia, walks yes. in on him, you know. Like, just, like, apparently, no one knocks. And I guess yeah. enough senior officers were like, listen, there are times when I'm doing things in there, and I don't want to be disturbed. So we got to, like, nip this in the bud with yeah. some legality here, you know. <laughs> and now it's illegal in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. But, yeah, they were all doing some unseemly things <laughs> in the holodeck. Yeah. Oh, man. The holodecks definitely make you ask questions about the... The nature of Star Trek in some ways. Like, what is, is this the future? Because this could create some real problems. Like, how many people actually just lose themselves in the fantasies that they present, that they have in the Hollow Suites? Like, just, just give up yeah. on life and just do Hollow Suites for all time. I mean, the ideas of the holodeck and, and, make sense. You've got these long missions. Um, you don't know when you're going to find another solar system, let alone another planet that you can you know go on and get fresh air and everything else so instead of just always running around in a gym on your ship you have this kind of well it is a, a fake environment where you can have at least artificial sun and it kind of expands with you so you feel like you're moving like again picard horseback riding you know in the holodecks and stuff like that so i mean i think that it would it would make sense because the changing of the scenery and things like that would allow people to adapt to long-term space travel better mm -hmm. than not having yeah. that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like 
this technology that you guys are all swearing by and seem to be using seems to have a lot of issues. And as we've seen with the creation of Moriarty and then later on in um, um, Voyager with the EMH, holographic technology doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of limits. And having sentient programs running around raises a lot of ethical questions. And when do they really cross the line between program to sentence because that seems to get blurred a lot now granted moriarty's creation was indirectly intentional because of geordie's phrasing or whatever but i mean they do this a lot they you, that's the other part of it too and you've got these sentient programs that are just trapped in there forever so how do you morally decide which ones get to exist and which ones don't you know, I I'm gonna say it now. They should have killed the Moriarty program ASAP because <laughs> he's a supervillain. You know what? <laughs> I fervently agree. The moment that they were, I I've always thought that too, and I've just never really voiced it. But the yeah. moment that they were able to get him to capitulate and give them back control of the Enterprise and get out of the holodeck safely, they should have just carterized the wound, basically yes. cut that whole section out of the ship right. and toss it into the sun. As right. far as I'm concerned, like. Yeah. Just don't ever go back in there again. Don't I, ever activate just, that program. Again, I don't know any of the history of the Borg beyond what I've seen so far, mainly on TNG. But if the Borg ever found that cube that Moriarty was put in and they let just float out in space for all time, man, the Borg oh, would no. be that much worse. <laughs> they didn't let it. Now, remember, they didn't let it float out in space forever. Well, they, they, made it into, they made it into a contained, its own, like, basically a mini holodeck right and it's a it was the program itself was a cube and then they sat the cube down inside the space which provided an unlimited amount of power and memory so that right. to, they had tricked moriarty to thinking that it was running inside this right. and as long as nobody ever went and re and took that cube out and plugged it in anywhere else well, it could run point. contained in this thing forever well that's my but, point if the borg ever found it can you imagine the yeah, borg and more no, and that's <laughs> but you're right because then i'm assuming that after all that was done and they put it in this little container thing they just shoved it in a storage bin somewhere on the ship so yeah another alien race the borg the romulans somebody could have you know raided the ship and found it and then it would have had widespread repercussions elsewhere why they didn't as right. soon as they had it contained they should have just went to the nearest star and chucked that thing right into the star exactly. and let it let it burn up right and that's that's it or right. just put it on the deck and shoot it with the phaser blow it up right. he's not a threat you contained him right Th yeah so many times there are so many issues in trek that could have been solved with them being like okay kill it like <laughs> seriously okay Die. Garrett could have been a great asset in those moments. <laughs> oh yeah. This is why this is why, you know, there are certain characters on Next Generation that would never work on Deep Space Nine and vice versa. versa. And it's also obvious when certain characters are written a certain way that they would have worked better on one of the other shows. Yeah. And they stand out for that reason too. Like Ro Laren obviously would have been a great fit for Deep Space Nine. Um Vedic Barayo, great fit for Next Generation. Not for Deep Space Nine. Um, some several missed opportunities by not having these characters swapped. Rolaren, we've talked about before, and I guess we're going to talk about again. She would have been, she would have been great. I don't think she would have been. I don't think they would have been able to do an episode like this with her because it just would have been like so wildly out of character. So maybe that maybe it would have worked, but still, 
overall, yeah. she should have been on Deep Space The Nine. actress who plays her might have been a, It would have been a very, very... Just like Kira, it was a strange role reversal to see Kira in a mm-hmm. nightgown and an evening dress. <laughs> um, yeah, Ro Laren would, would have been a similar experience. Ah, man, I love that character so much. I need to get to Picard so I can see her again. You, I was going to say, you need to get to Picard then, because, uh, yeah, she was great. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. But, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, this episode was fun, but you were telling me before we started that you're, like, you don't like Little Green Men, and you no. feel the same about it. I feel the same about this episode. Not as hardcore as I do Little Green Men, but it's the same because a lot of the stuff is just this very, you know, campy, nonsensical things. And I get it. This is supposed to be a parody. There are things that are going to be exaggerated. Yeah, yeah, I know. But whereas other people find those kind of wink and nod things enjoyable, I just don't. I There are little bits and pieces here that I can appreciate. But overall, I just, I've never really enjoyed things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I, if you want to tell that kind of story, then develop it properly. Give me the, give me like an actual story. I was more interested in kind of the, even though we don't really have a B story here, I was more interested in the, what the guys in our universe were doing outside of the holodeck trying to solve the problem. I was way more interested in watching Eddington, Odo, Quark, and Rom work together because that's not a pairing we have ever seen before. Yes. That quadruple group there that quartet doing things was was different was yes. weird yeah but Odo it was great work on like you were right That's yeah the right solution rom were... is being his technically genius self it's a it's a surprising genius here's this idiot that we've always i mean we saw little he inklings savant, again yeah. in in little green men we saw little inklings that there was something else here too rom and now we get to see it again and he's you know, he's the moron, but he's been keeping the hollow suites running because he's figured out with components spatula. to make them work. Right. Not just because it's a spatula, but because it's made of a special material that's a great conductor. Yes. And just like things like that. Like it was it was great to see. Right. And you know, you got Eddington still trying to like hold the station together and he's working from this position. But then you got Odo, who's in a surprising role kind of as caretaker of our missing crew members right. he's concerned about their health and their safety and their well-being and what we need to do to get them back to being who they really are how do we extricate them from the programs and stuff like that right. um whereas eddington has really kind of taken over on the you know order and protocol and following the the roles no one person is in charge, right. but all of them working together help us to arrive at a solution. And I, yeah, I just thought that that was great. And I wish we had seen more of that. I would have loved, especially to hear more from Rom as he was working through how to do certain things. And also to see more of Eddington and Oda, because we already knew they had a bit of a tense relationship, yep. you know, considering they're both in security and who's the security chief and who's doing, you know, all that. So to, have, to see them kind of be forced to work together, that was an interesting angle that we never really got to explore, explore. here. Yeah. And we actually had them talking together at the finale of last season when they were trying to find the uh, the one changeling and they were in the tubes, you know, on the Defiant and they were discussing, like, can't you tell, like, where the other one is or where do you think he is? And Oda was like, I don't know his mind. You know, I can't 
predict him. I don't think yeah. like him. I'm not him. Right. Right. Because he was like, where were, where would you go? What would you be thinking? He's like, I don't know because I'm not him. Right. So, you know, we can see there's already there's obviously tension. And this is the first time that we've seen them together really since then. Yeah. There have been other episodes, but not those two together doing yeah. things. Yeah. And seeing Odo trying to solve a technical problem was interesting because he's never had to solve a technical problem like this before. It's like true. Seeing him working on stuff and like what kind of knowledge does Odo have about this yeah it was it was actually fun to see them working together again especially Cork the Cork Odo Rom sort of trio and then Eddington as their fourth wheel um it was it was something that yeah they, they, if we had gotten more time with them it could have been really interesting um again I love the Avery Brooks going crazy as a villain and, and chewing the scenery um, like I said, there are but, many things to enjoy about the episode, but overall, right. I guess like for me, let me just say, I, I like a good story yes. and, um, I feel like the good story of this was how do we get them back to being right. themselves, being the real people. Right. But we were so focused on the clever tongue in cheek and the innuendo and all the Dr. No James Bond stuff that the true story was lost in all of that. And that I found, um, I, I upsetting. I didn't like it. Well, I would put it this way. This episode is absolutely skippable. Like it's been a hard time for me to think sometimes about which episodes are skippable. This one is the most skippable episode I've seen that I can at least, say like oh yeah this is a skippable episode the only thing you need to remember from this episode is that garrick and bashir got together closer as friends like they, their friendship yes and maybe their friendship the, was strengthened a bit yeah here. and maybe odo and cork have a new understanding for each other and and rom you i mean we've already heard that he's a genius when it comes to technical matters and he's that's his secret yeah weapon almost is like he's actually really smart when it comes to technical things and that's what's sad about his life is that as a Ferengi he's always been pressured by his culture to be a certain way but he's actually not that way um but other than that yeah everything else is really skippable uh because of the nature of the episode which is which is funny that you say that it's skippable because it's often this episode is listed as a unskippable episode one of the one in like the top 15 top 20 unskippable episodes of deep space nine this one and of course little green men pop up and i feel like they pop up because the people making these lists are analyzing them purely from uh like a more pop cultural yeah right a pop cultural entertainment you, as Era, some random you know, person, could jump into this episode pretty easily. Right. You don't need yeah. to know anything about the lore of Trek at all to watch these episodes. Therefore, they're unskippable. Whereas, if you're a person who has... Exact been opposite. At, yeah, you're right. Or at least... Show, or even yeah. if you have at least been following along with the overall storyline, right. yeah. you can definitely skip this episode because it does nothing. Right. It does nothing for the rest of the story right you we know? don't know why um, the crew our five characters were at this meeting like why were all the officers absent it's not clearly stated why they were all we don't yeah we time. don't really get to that we why just know that there's some Bashir kind of confer- conference yeah. which and again makes it's another one of those issues too that's a plot hole if all of the other senior officers Worf included who is a new addition to the senior staff right. had to go to this thing why didn't dr Bashir? well and it's also it, uh, 
strange because Kira is not a part of the Federation officer angle. She's from the Bashir yeah. angle. So if anyone would have been there, it would have been Bashir and not Kira. Like all or, of the Federation officers had to be off off for a bit. Or you, know? you can go even further on that and just be like, okay, you wanted to have all of your officers. Then again, why didn't Bashir go in O'Brien's day? O'Brien right. is a non-com. Right. If all the other officers went, Bashir should have gone. He yeah. is a command level officer. Yeah. He should have gone. Right. If oh, if if O'Brien went, he should have gone. Right. So yeah, it just it doesn't make any sense, and it also doesn't make sense that if Kira goes that Odo didn't go because Odo is the head of security. So again, if you're, if all of your department heads are going, right. why are these two in particular staying there? Yeah, why now, would you course, leave the two co-heads again, I'm laughing and right. I say that of, of security, Eddington and Odo. Yeah. Now again, I get it. You know, someone's got to mind the store. Someone's got to be in command. Right. I, I totally understand that. However, in those situations, why did both the captain and, and the first officer go. You don't need both of them. There should have been one or the other. If the captain goes, first officer stays. That's how it's always been. There's so many it's missions very where rare. the two of them both go, and I think that very question, why is Kira yeah. on the Defiant? She should be back on the station. <laughs> but Right, anyway. she should be on the station. <laughs> she absolutely, you know. Um, it, there are several times where that comes up, and it's just like, I, I understand you know, I guess production-wise, show-wise, why they did it. But right. if you're wanting us to kind of follow in with this paramilitary structure here, then a lot of times one of them should be where the other one isn't. If I, if, if Cisco's on the Defiant, Kira should be at the station and vice versa. It, it part makes know? me think, like, TNG did a night crew episode, I remember, where like, they talked about how, like, Data is in charge of, like, when everyone else is asleep, he's in charge of, of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And it was like a one-time episode where like you're seeing some of the behind-the-scenes kind of how things run kind of episode. And I feel like there should be an episode like about that here for Deep Space Nine, where it turns out like there's a legit other set of officers <laughs> that like run the station. <laughs> the other guys, yeah, the and, other guys. And of course, it always like the the running gag would be that all the interesting stuff always happens on the day shift, but the night shift is just there to like babysit the programs and the computer, and <laughs> you know, like they 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 appear uh, every now and then, but you know, most of the time they're off screen. Um, and that would explain why Kira could go on missions because she's the first would... officer during day shifts. But right. if they ever have to have someone go on the Defiant, would... then she can join. That would be a with. great episode. And like, you could do it to where like there's always a crisis on the night shift. But it's you know how nice. with right, you know how like for like the day shift, it's always they have to solve the problem before the thing blows up. Right. For the night shift, <laughs> they have to solve the problem before day shift starts. So they'd be like. Instead of the countdown being like 10 seconds to implosion, it'll be like 10, 10 seconds, seconds to day shift, <laughs> 10, five seconds to day shift, four, three, two. And then like as the as the uh, the lift rises and up comes Cisco from the thing, they're all like hastily wiping down stuff and p- pushing wires back up into the rafters and stuff and being like, yeah. uh, ready for day shift, sir. And then. Hastily running off before uh, be you know anybody else gets that's, there. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that's gotta be like a. Uh, I haven't watched it, but um, what's that? Uh, the Orville Orville show's gotta have some sort of version of that. I, I bet. I you know between the Orville and um, Lower Decks, 
I would say you get kind of a good feel for things like that. You see, like, again, Lower Decks is you know, these junior officers who, while all the senior command staff tries their best, always look so polished and, you know, self-assured and in control. Right. Their junior officers are a nervous wreck, and they're just right. kind of running and bouncing off walls and stuff, trying to just hold it together long enough to make it to being off duty, right. you know? Right. And then, yeah, the Orville is kind of like um, a more lighthearted next generation, you right. know? Now, the Orville did, like, after the first, uh, I guess, the, really after the first season, it really kind of, like, leaned more into being like next generation and the stories became a bit more complex a bit more serious they still have their their elements of humor of course but not nearly as much as they did in the first season and then each season has gotten progressively more into actual you know sci-fi and telling a good story and doing things and everything else and i've really enjoyed it um that show is obviously on hiatus and has been on hiatus there's a massive campaign to bring it back for a fourth season. Um, no announcements uh, yet that I know of as to whether or not they're actually going to make it to a fourth season. Right. But um, I believe that the rights were purchased by Disney recently, if I'm not mistaken. Disney? So there is a potential that it will be on Disney. Really? Yeah, I believe that that's what it was. Either the Orville was purchased by Disney or Hulu is now Disney. Well, I know so Hulu therefore, and Disney has sort of a relationship, but yeah, does that mean they own it? I don't know if they own it or it's just like they have they've partnered with it. Like you get the Disney bundle, you can get Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's because they own Hulu or not. But I think I think that they own it. I think that they own it now. Um, so yeah, so uh, all the jokes are going around. So since the Orville was on Hulu and Hulu is now owned by Disney, does that make uh, Captain Ed Mercer a Disney princess? Like, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, so, but, um, who knows? Maybe it'll be featured because there's, you know, a lot of shows are up on the chopping block right now for across all platforms, HBO, Hulu, Disney, um, all of them, all these shows that, um, seem to have had at one point anyway, pretty decent following, um, are being non-renewed. I mean, Netflix is doing it as well, but Netflix has always done that. Their shows now, if they make it past the third season, it's a miracle. Yeah. They Netflix loves ending shows on the third season, right? And then you know doing something else. So right. yeah, Netflix has been doing that for a while, but now it seems like the others are kind of following suit. They're ending a lot of shows that have been around four or five seasons, you know, and then other shows are not getting renewed for a fourth season. They seem to be stopping at three. Um, and then that kind of opens them up. I know there's been a lot of negotiating for like shows to jump platforms to come to other ones, but um, even with all that going on, we still also have the writer strike going on. So even if they do purchase some of these shows, you're probably not going to see new episodes of anything for a while because the writer strike is keeping everybody from doing uh, moving forward with any I kind of real find production. That whole thing. Just interesting, but I still don't like I still don't like the result of the first writer strike back in uh, two thousand eight. You know, um, I know that it was grueling. Off- movies? Did we talk about how bad they were? Like Transformers: Age of Extinction, or what is it? Uh, Revenge of the Fallen. How I hated we, it. Did we talk about uh, that? Yes, I do exactly. remember that. Okay. We did have a discussion yeah. about okay. the Transformers. 
yeah. um, movies. Um, but yeah, that that first writer strike to me that you know we had the shows that a season was again twenty four to twenty six episodes. Now we're lucky if we get thirteen. Like most of them now, it's a standard ten. Right. You might get thirteen if there's something you know unusual about you know whatever else going on. But other than that, that's it. Right. You know. And um, I understand that it was hard work on everybody and the actors and else, but come on, you know that they were well paid for a lot of this stuff. I mean, a lot of them made their, um, you know, made their retirements on these shows. And how many of them now, thanks to the glory of conventions and all the rest of it, we hear them now years later talk about how much they would love to go back and do another season or do another show or whatever else. I was like, wait a second. You can't do both. You can't complain the whole time, and then you want to go back. Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy, has said multiple times that um, she was sad when the show ended, and that if she had had her way, they would still be filming and releasing new (laughs) episodes to this day. Right. She loved going back to the set and doing things for Picard and everything else, and that she wished they had never stopped. So, I mean... And she's not the only one. The others have totally agreed with her on that. So I'm like, okay, do you, you really think that you had 30 years in you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to run this show? Right. Because um, uh, there was a time when you said the opposite. So <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I just kind of wish that we could at least get 20. I'd be happy with 20 episodes a season. Because I swear, now we spend so much time in the shows in the beginning establishing stuff that by the time you finally get to the main part of the story and the action and everything else, you're seven episodes in. Right. So now you've only got three episodes, and then they're on, you have to wait until season two, which doesn't come out for like another year and a half. Jesus, like, I'm finally interested in your show, and I've got nothing. Right. And it sucks to me. That That's what I don't like. Don't walk me all the way up to the cliff and then just when I get there, push me off and I don't have a parachute. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. So that's just my little mini um, why I don't – I don't like the strike. I don't know the full reason why they're striking. I'm not saying they don't have legitimate reasons to strike. Maybe they do. I don't know all that. I'm just saying that some of the things that came out of the strike the first time were not necessarily – good things right for for us viewers right. which i mean i'm sure people are like well, we don't care about you and i okay i guess <laughs> you know i guess <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah. um favorite moment of our man bashir what would you say it is well we uh, we haven't talked about the one moment i thought was really also silly <clears throat> bashir is going up to Worf, who's playing the French guy, as you said. And he's all like, you have to pay me five million francs to go see Dr. Noah. And he's like, fine. And he pulls out his wallet, and he puts a hundred da- like down. And he's like, I'll play you for it. And then he plays Worf and wins the five million francs or whatever. And mm. he's like, fine, you can go see him. And then he does the like I, I, th- I thought it was kind of fun where he does like the cigar where it like has got the, the cigar with the the Sleep, noxious, noxious. Uh, sleep gas. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Like, oh yeah, it's a spy thing. Like, he's got a special cigar in his pouch that he can use to knock people out. Um, but like, I was like, 
there's no hitchman who would ever be like, okay, I'll play you for like a pittance of whatever it is, and you're gonna win, <laughs> and then I'm right. gonna let you go see the guy. Like that's not that's not how that works. Um, and then yeah, yeah, because it's like there's literally nothing in this for Worf. Exactly, exactly. He he gets nothing. Yeah, and then his assistant, who's she's a she's got a degree in biology and geography and and this and that. Oh, and Miss those Miss and loves it. Yeah. She speaks seven languages. She's yeah. got a degree in sociology and xenobiology and but she's uh great at tailoring my suits. Yeah, Thanks, she makes honey. a great martini, yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it just it just really nails home like again, when he is talking That's, to Dax. That sixties that sixties mindset about yeah. women. And it, in a well, weird again, way it, it also like a, if it was a male fantasy, it's like okay, like but it really just shows like uh, yeah, anyway, you were saying. Yeah, it's it's, it's just like, you. again, it's like, uh, we don't care about all of your fancy pants degrees. We want you to I look good in a suit jacket and, I mean, I don't even know what what, what was the rest that she was oh, wearing. She, yeah, like she, she had on, the, she had on the boots that, yeah. right, or she, you know, showed all the, the leg and everything else and well, just like, yeah, yeah why did, says, why did you, you tell me else? that she... Do you need anything else? Right. And Bashir looks her up and down. Down at her breasts, and then looks her up cleavage. and says, "Yeah," and says, "No, you're good. I'll let you know." Like, right? And then again, when when um the the thing turns around and Kira's on there, she's got she's in a nightgown and she's been mm-hmm. waiting for him. And when she goes to pick up the file, she goes, "I wish I could help you relax," and like stretches right. out and then grabs the file and pulls it forward and says, "Oh, I have some information for you," like. And then again, Dax, the whole like, uh, before I die, I just want to see that lovely face of yours. Take off your glasses for me. And Garrick is like, "What the hell are you doing?" And right. She's like, "Shut up! I know what I'm doing." And it's just like so clear that like, yeah, Bashir has done this a lot. He's been in right. this program a number of times, as Garrick. Well, says, and that's what and that's Garrick, what Garrick says. Yeah. Garrick's like, since you got this program, your you have time. ran it frequently, and you've told no one. Which for a man like you. Is telling in and of itself, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, he calls him out on it pretty hardcore. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, best moment again. Best moment again is is Cisco chewing or Avery Brooks chewing it up as Doctor Noah. Um, and again, Garrick giving Bashir a hard time. Uh, and then finally, as we've said, the Odo Cork Nog Eddington mm-hmm. Quartet. Um, working together in a way that we wouldn't expect otherwise. But yeah, again, I've said it before, it's skippable. This is a skippable episode. If you had to well, pass an episode, there are, that's an episode Yeah, up. there are several people who don't agree with you, <laughs> but um, I, I do agree with you. I think that this is definitely a one and done. You don't have to come back to this one for anything. Right. It doesn't do anything. And then like the next episode that we're going to watch is a great episode. And it's just like, it's kind of the same so with you, Little Green this, Men. This this season, yeah, is... it's it's this is the kind of the roller coaster. We're just like we have these extreme highs, and then we hit these weird, you know, lows, these weird valleys. At least for me, right. and I just kind of you know suffer through it, you know. But this is also this these things to me are also the point. Like while I recognize that this is an episode that I don't enjoy, we have we're at episode ten. Right. We've got sixteen more episodes in this season, right? Just this season right. that we're going to get to, you know, go over and watch. And there's a lot of great things about it. But I feel like you appreciate those great moments more when you have things like this. But when you only have 
10 episodes and six of them are duds. Right. It's just like I I feel cheated. I feel like I've wasted my time. I didn't need to watch those other episodes where all you did was show me people, you know, I don't know, complaining about stuff all the time until they finally got to the main, you know, point. Like I I can't stand and these are everywhere too, the cop procedurals, you know, where everybody's in, you know, training at the LAPD Academy or the FBI Academy or the CIA Academy or whatever it is. And the whole first seven episodes, it's everybody, how they got picked, why they're overly qualified, why they're hypersexed, and then finally what the major conflict is. It's like, okay, well, I had to suffer through like six hours before you finally tell me what the main conflict is. And now I hate everybody and I don't care what your main conflict is. I hope you all die of whatever it is that is going to be affecting you later on. You're worthless people. What was that show? They did one, uh, Quantico. That was an FBI show. And that show was insufferable for that. And I'm glad that it's off the air because it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> so, man, don't let me get out there. There might be a different kind of writer's strike. <laughs> well, I pretty much feel like we uh, covered everything about this one and uh, Dash Extra with yeah. some other things. Yeah. Um, as we said, overall skippable episode, but no big deal. You yeah. should still watch it if you've never seen it. And then if you, you know, hey, if you disagree with anything either one of us has said, yeah, uh, please feel free right. to let me know. Yeah. Um, let us know. We would love to, you know, talk about it a little bit more. Maybe there's something I didn't watch right, and maybe that will help me appreciate it more. I don't know. Right. I doubt it. <laughs> but um, let me know. We'll right. see. Um, other than that, as we said before, you can find us anywhere that you listen to uh, podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify, and we're on all the social medias except for Twitter, which will probably implode any day now. So, um, but until next time, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>